All right, fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Um, there's a couple of things left over from last week, and then we'll move on. If you have questions, we'll keep going. If not, we'll move on. Uh, this, I handed this to you last week. This was sort of, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, or eight years ago. I was asked to write a chapter for a book that was supposed to introduce Lutheranism. So that's inside my brain. I think I would still say all that stuff. Uh, if you didn't get one, you can, but that was the origin of that. Then there was a couple of questions uh, left over on, from the cards. So uh, one a little more straightforward and one a little more difficult. So the easy one first, sprinkling or immersion. So here's the thing, Luther loved to dunk. And so it's, this is the, the, the font here is big enough to dunk. Now here's the thing, if you're thinking about getting baptized and you're making your choice, you should consider that the heater has gone out on that, so that is about room temperature. Bobby was here somewhere, right? Is Bob, Bobby's here? Where is he? I saw him walk by. He took the dunk, but he, we didn't tell him that the heater was out. So after he came up in the name of the Father, he was looking at us like, what is up here? In the name of the Son. So, but then we know it took, because something really, really happened. So anyway, uh, in the scriptures, the word is baptizo, from which easily comes in English as baptize. Um, of course, people spill blood over this, you know, what you're supposed to do. The interesting thing is that in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word means both things. It can mean to dunk something, uh, like dunk a donut, or it can also mean to sprinkle things. So there's this famous text where Jesus says, you know, about the Pharisees, you, you, know, you come home from the marketplace and you're so concerned about sin that, you know, um, you wash everything up, and then he talks about cleanliness. He says, you even baptize your tables. Well, there's, there's not really a conceivable scenario in the Middle East where there's hardly any water anywhere where people would regularly take their tables out and immerse them, right? So it just means to wash something up. Now, Luther uh, loved the fact that people would be dunked under because it makes the point that, as we started with Romans 6, you're dead and then you're alive, right? So you're coming out of the tomb with, uh, with Jesus. So either way is fine. And as I said the very first week, the big thing for us is if you uh, were baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, then you know, we sort of, uh, well, not sort of, we say, uh, well done. If there's any doubt, and we talked about that last week, uh, we do whatever it takes to eliminate the doubt and often that. So we've had people whose parents, you know, belonged to a cult in the desert and somebody baptized them, but they kind of remember it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have, we've had a woman who was from Indonesia who said, you know, I was baptized, but I don't remember I was baptized. But then she was able to find a picture where she, that after the baptism, where everybody was fully, you know, liturgically garbed, and we're like, yeah, that'll, so we, we sort of have to figure it out for each one of you. If you need uh, things figured out, we can help you with that. But is that all, is that all good? Um, the other question then is about spirit baptism and water baptism. And this is, you know, this again is something that people spills blood, or my advice to you is in the church, spill as little blood as possible. Uh, this is the feast day of St. Josephat, who was an Eastern Rite 
Christian who was killed by an Orthodox mob in 1628 in what is kind of present-day Ukraine because he said, hey, the Catholics and the Orthodox should get back together. You're like, ah, that's not a very good witness to the church. At least he got a saint's day out of it. But yeah, it was a, tough, it was a high price, right? So you know, just be careful with, um, at the end of the day, the Lord is going to sort us all out. And uh, everybody will get the chance to say, I believe this and here's why. But uh, the most important thing will be to say, hey, but I was forgiven, you know, with the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus. So anyway, water baptism and spirit baptism. So you've got a couple of things going on. Water baptism is a common thing. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, we're going to baptize you like this. Uh, but you remember earlier by night, Nicodemus, such an interesting guy, who shows up in the darkness, so probably a little bit scared, comes secretly, but he's uh, you know, part of the ruling class in Jerusalem, and he talks to Jesus about what's going on. And the story seems to be unresolved and even a bit disappointing, but of course, Nicodemus reappears to be one of the people who buries Jesus, right? So at some point, things clicked in for him. Anyway, he's the one who says, you know, what about baptism and water and spirit and all this? And then Jesus talks about being baptized with water and the spirit. Now, again, kind of how the Greek works. There's one preposition for both of those words, which means it's one thing with two parts. And that goes easily then with being baptized with the name. So Jesus says you get baptized with water and the spirit. It's like you have a hamburger with ketchup and mustard, right? It does two things come together. Maybe that's not the best analogy so early in the morning, but you know, it comes to mind. And you notice I didn't say hot dog for you Chicago people who don't want to be offended. Try to be sensitive to your pastoral needs. So, um, you know, now of course, then you get to Acts where everything is just a mess. You know, and the Holy Spirit's coming down at Pentecost, and they go out and see these people, and they say, are you baptized? And they say, well, we got, we got the baptized with the Holy Spirit, but what's this other water baptism you're talking This is just a mess, which is not unlike, you know, every church in Wheaton. You know, they're a mess. Everything, you know, there's things that are kind of cross-current. So all you can say is, and you should, I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way. You should say, there's some particular kind of time that the Spirit drops down on people, like Pentecost. Right? And so the disciples had this ability to speak languages, coherent languages, that other people understand. So there's Greeks and Medes and Parthenians, and everybody hears it in their own language. It's a miraculous thing. That's different from when St. Paul talks about, and the Spirit drops down and you speak in tongues. And that seems to be different again from in Acts, where the Holy Spirit drops down and people say, we got baptized by the Holy Spirit, and what's this other stuff you're talking about? So you just observe that these things happen, that the Lord can do whatever he wants with his church, and you just sort of kind of sort it out as you go. Um, the difference is that some of these things are given by the Lord when it pleases him. Pentecost, for example. But we have the mandate, you know, we have the, the rule, the ask, that we have the Holy Supper, for example, do this over and over and over again in remembrance of me, or baptism in your going, as you go, everywhere you go, make disciples. So 
We're supposed to be making disciples by baptizing and teaching, again, two parts of one thing. We're supposed to be having the Holy Supper with the body and blood of Jesus, two parts of one thing. But we don't have um, other things to, you know, we don't have sort of a mandate for a raw baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever that might mean. And whether it means what it meant 2,000 years ago, that's up for grabs too. Um, so anyway, it's a complicated question, but uh, it's not unclear. There's just a lot of moving parts to it. So how's that? Is that okay? So baptizo. Any other just baptismal questions? Um, the final thing I would say, I don't think I said this, is because, you know, when you get baptized, you go to the church and you get baptized by a pastor. Why do you do that? Because that's what Jesus said. No. I picked on you last week, Kyle, so you get a clean pass. We go to Andrew. <laughs> you got a driver's license, right? You ever Uber? Yes. When you Uber, do you drive? No. Good, because you get arrested if you try to drive when you Uber, right? <laughs> Except in Chicago, where apparently you can take anybody's car for any... Oh, never mind. Okay, so... Uh, People will say sometimes to us, well, I can do that. And of course they do mean that they have the capacity to do it. The energy, they know the words. Da, 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 da. The, 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 the trouble is, um, you only know what's going on when you do what Jesus asks you to do. So, you know, um, Jesus is, we say, of holy ordination. Jesus puts somebody into the ministry and then they're asked to do all the things that Jesus uh, ask them to do. So, you know, why do I celebrate the Holy Supper but not you? Because Jesus asked me to do that. Why do I baptize and not you? Because Jesus asked me to do that. It doesn't have to do with worth. It has to do with um, I'm driving the Uber, even though I know that you have a driver's license, right? So it, it just, it's just a matter of what Jesus asks you to do. Anytime you get outside what Jesus asks you to do, then you actually have no idea what's, what's going on. So I gave you the example um, last week of when people changed the name with which they baptize. You get baptized in the name of Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, I got no idea what just happened, right? If you change the elements and you don't use bread and wine, you know, I can remember back in my Lutheran school, there was the genius idea to have a Lord's Supper with, you know, Coke and Fritos. You're kind of like, I mean, even in the eighth grade, I'm looking at my teachers going, you people are idiots. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you change things around, you have no idea what's going on. The only time you know what's going on is if you do what Jesus tells you to do. And receive that as a gift and a blessing, right? How you doing, okay still? Vic, you still okay? All right. <laughs> Sometimes later he says to me, <laughs> but you know, it's all good. Um, anything else about baptism? You just want to keep going? Yes, please. I know that you had mentioned the story last week with Luther rebaptizing with a woman. Uh, 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 you <laughs> start swearing first thing in the morning? What's going on? Yeah, 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 no, go ahead. Yeah, right, right. Yes, right. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, good. Well, the idea of what the woman in the emergency situation with yeah. a child and whatnot, not knowing for certain. Yeah, right. Such and such and such. Yeah. Should that, and, and the idea of we have a driver's, driver's license, but you're the one prescribed to do it, of course. In emergency situations, is there a time when we should be called to baptize someone? I know that's a very specific scenario, and, but I don't know, someone's 
dying on the road. And, I don't know. It's a very dramatic scene, of course, but um, I guess that's just, is that something that we should do? Better to do than not to do? You and St. Augustine, like this, simpatica, <laughs> right? He didn't use dying on the road, he used shipwreck, right? Oh, okay. so two guys are floating on a piece of timber. One guy confesses and the other guy forgives him. One guy says, I'm not baptized, and the guy baptizes him. And like, I guess he goes, it was an emergency, <laughs> right? Now, in the good old days, some of these Lutherans in here grew up with the red hymnal. Who grew up with the red hymnal? Let's see, right? Last page of the red hymnal, what was on the last page of the red hymnal? Because if you're in an emergency, break glass, right? right? You need to know where it is if it's an emergency. In the next hymn, they buried it in the middle. I couldn't even find it if I was looking for it, right? It used to be on the very last page right. of the red hymnal, right? So yeah, if you have a true emergency, then, then you should, you should um, you know, say your prayers, beg forgiveness, and baptize. You should. If it's a true emergency, that's what you should. But that's very different than, you know, you're babysitting your cousins and, you know, you decide like, hey, hey, right? Uh, <laughs> You know, so yeah, I mean, we do a lot of things in emergencies that we wouldn't do otherwise. I think the other thing, too, is um, Jesus is not as big a rule follower as we are. Like, Jesus is kind of merciful, you know. Now, I will just say to you, though, you know what the difference between Jesus and everybody else is. Jesus does what he's told, yeah. <laughs> Which makes him different than all of you and me, Right? But he's very happy about that. Um, in fact, you know, Jesus normally, um, when he wore uh, couture, he wore Karl Lagerfeld. Can you hand this out, Vic? Yeah, Vicar said to nod to him when I went in to watch this. There we go. Hand that out, okay? So yes, okay, so good. Um, you know, if there's an emergency, then you know, do what needs to be done. But of course. If you were at seminary right now, I'd press you to say, is there such a thing as an emergency Lord's Supper, vicar? So that would be a curiosity for me, you know. If you can have emergency baptism, can you have an emergency Lord's Supper? I suppose it depends how highly you esteem the Lord's Supper. Friend? So Penny had asked last Yeah, I blame stuff on Penny too. When I'm talking to Kirby sometimes at home, at dinner, it's going to be controversial. I say, you know, Penny was asking me last week. I say the same thing. Yeah, right. So siblings or family that were baptized and now they have children or grandchildren that are dead because they were not baptized. What do you say? Uh, yeah. Gee whiz. Um, so you, you didn't give me an awful lot to go with there, but I will try to... Um, so I will give you a couple of things. Um, there's more than one way to be saved. So often, if I run into grandparents who have grandchildren who've, uh, who come to me and say, can I baptize my grandchildren? Um, I give them sort of two options. One is not in the bathtub at home, but if you'll be the one responsible for their teaching and the parents say, I could care less, I got bears tickets, Bring them to the late service and we'll baptize them and then you take care of them. So somebody's taking fourth commandment responsibility for them, right? Father and mother kind of responsibility. That's one way. Another way is um, if there's great reluctance or even antagonism, I just teach them to sing Jesus Loves Me the next time you babysit for them. 
Because, you know, uh, you can only confess Jesus loves me by the way of the Holy Spirit, right? That's in the scriptures. No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, right? So you find workarounds in many ways. The problem is, like any workaround, you're just not quite sure it's going to hold up, right? And uh, you're less certain than you would be if you did what Jesus asked you to do, right? The other thing, too, and you know me well enough to say this, like, I've never said of any person anywhere they're in hell. Right? Because I don't have that sort of inside information. Um, you know, people give better and worse suggestions, right? But one can imagine somebody who's a perfectly upstanding church person who had another life that wasn't perfectly upstanding and may have been lost for that. You can also, um, and we sort of did this, you can imagine thief on the cross persons who sort of at the last second say, oh, I got my whole life wrong. And for us to be in judgment of that doesn't belong to us. So now your impulse is perfect, which is your, this is what you say. I love this child and I want this child to be baptized because baptism gives this child everything, right? The name of God, the protection of the angels, the joy of the gospel, safety at the last, all these things that come to them. So you, the impulse is perfect. How to figure that out? Uh, when it's not a straight path, takes a little bit of cleverness, right? Especially because you might not get an invitation to Thanksgiving dinner next year, right? Yeah, so anyway, it's a great question. And these are the real things. Now what you should, hopefully you'll have enough sort of coming out of these Saturday mornings that you can uh, ask really good questions or figure things out mostly for yourselves. But then you can always come check with us and see. What else, anything else about baptism? So, uh, uh, what I really want to convince you this morning, and you would think this is, you know, you can hardly believe I get paid for this, but hey Vic, can you help me out here? Um, you know, the thing that I really want to convince you of is that God loves you. And you would think that would be a super easy thing to do. And you would think that we'd all just kind of embrace that, but it turns out uh, there's all kinds of evidence all the time that we don't, we don't think that at all from, you know, when we have sins that um, we think are the end of us to when Jesus says A and you do B to, uh, you know, just, just you forget that God exists or, um, you know, you just kind of figure out and go your own way. But primarily I see it in people's despair and in their self-image, how they move through life, how they create their relationships, and whether or not they're willing to live the way the Lord prescribes. So here, here's the thing, and this is kind of the corollary to that. You, maybe you remember the first week, one of the first uh, things I gave you was a quote from C.S. Lewis that said basically this, if you're not happy, it's because you're chasing something other than God wants for you. Right? And then I sort of gave you the shorthand of that is don't touch evil. But if you're not happy, it's because you're chasing, you're chasing something else, right? So this is your little clue for today, which is holiness is happiness. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to talk you into this. Now, you can, and I can too, like you can intellectually, you can say, yeah, that's, that's fabulous. 
But then you start to reflect, and don't immediately reflect on other people, just kind of reflect on your own life about how much of it is given to holiness and how much is given to your own willfulness and how much is, you know, going your own way. So I want to try to move you in that direction, but first I want to um, give you these two, two quotes kind of as a warm-up, okay? So the very first one, and I, you know, the th Lutherans are horrible at this, by the way. I just want to, you know, you people who aren't Lutheran, you're probably better at it. You know, I grew up, you know, surprising I'm even still in the church. I never meant to be a pastor, by the way. This is completely accidental. You know, I'm just one lottery ticket away from living in Bermuda with a new exchange for crypto. So, uh, you know, <laughs> checking to see if you read the news or not. I'm just checking. Things are available. Opportunities are available, apparently. So, uh, yeah. This is, I mean, it's an honest question. When you think about God, and I don't mean like Sunday school answer, think about God. I mean, when you think about God, do you think primarily that God loves you or hates you? That God is for you or against you? That God is love or God is wrath? You know, I know everybody says God is love is the right answer, but in practice, most people act, think, and go forward as if God hated them, or at least was agnostic toward them, right? So the one thing I want to try to suggest to you is um, that God loves you and that defines every step for the rest of your life. Julian of Norwich, first English book, I think, written by a woman or that we have, 1216 or something. She lived in a little cell in England, you know. God made it, God loves it, God stands by it. Speaking about his creation, speaking about you. God made it, God loves it, God stands by it, right? So, the problem is it's very difficult to do that when you're very sick, when your children have taken a wrong turn, when your marriage is blown up, when you've lost your job, pick something. It's very difficult to say, Jesus loves me, Jesus never leaves me. Jesus never hurts me. So, I mean, the single thing I want to try to convince you of that would change your life and the trajectory of your life would be that God loves you kind of no matter what. So no matter, no matter what. I, I think I told you early on, I think I told the story of Polycarp where he's 96. The Roman persecutions are coming up. So Polycarp is, is mid-hundreds. Um, they'd say, you know, deny Christ and you can live. He's like, ah, why would I deny Christ? He's been really good to me. And you remember they grilled him to death with a smile on his face. They, the, the, the tradition, of course, you have to just, you have to understand what the tradition means. The tradition says he baked like bread. This is, this is remarkable. Now, of course, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? I mean, it means a run of things, but it means his death was a holiness. It smelled good if you'd smelled human flesh burning. It's a horrible smell. He baked like bread. There was something holy about him. He baked like bread. He didn't sort of go to his death in denial. It was like, no. Uh, Saint uh, Lawrence, the deacon, turn me over. I'm done on this side. Right? So, anyway, so here you go. I, this is the first one, not the Lagerfeld one, right? One thing we know for sure about our God is our God is a God 
of the living, not of the dead. God is life, God is love, God is beauty, God is goodness, God is truth. God doesn't want us to die. God wants us to live. Our God who loves us from eternity to eternity wants to give us life for eternity. When that life was interrupted by our unrighteousness, sorry, when that life was interrupted by our unwillingness to give our full yes to God's love, God sent Jesus to be with us and to say that great yes in our name and thus restore us to eternal life. So let's not be afraid of death. There is no cruel boss, and that may be like the most important thing for you to remember today. There is no cruel boss, vengeful enemy, or cruel tyrant waiting to destroy us. Only a loving, always forgiving God, eager to welcome us home. See, if I can get that, if you can sort of carry that with you. God is for you from eternity to eternity. This does a range of things from neutralizing your anxieties to letting you have a bit of joy in your life. Now I gave you then um, that next bit from the great theologian Karl Lagerfeld. Uh, but I didn't keep one for myself. Vic, is there one more or can I just use yours? Right? So, you know, the second thing you say when, if you have this sense that God is... Um, wrathful, the next thing that people always sort of say is, God's here to ruin my fun. And of course, if you've had children, this is, uh, but I'm not even just children, I mean people in the church, but yeah, God's, you know, he's here to ruin my fun. Right? And you kind of go, hold on, if holiness is happiness, then how is God here to ruin your fun? But people talk about this all the time because they don't understand, as I said last week, your sins aren't good for you. Right? It's only Christians who understand that sin is bondage, not freedom. So this is the difference between the world and the church. In the church, we understand that sin is bondage. In the world, people think of sin as freedom. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of how the world works. So, uh, but sometimes you get glimpses of it, right? So here you go. I'm just pleased to be doing what I'm doing. I just think if you could say this as a Christian. I'm just pleased to be doing what I'm doing. And I'm lucky to do it in great conditions with people I like. Would you love to be in a church like that? I don't have to battle with anybody, and everybody does exactly what I want them to do, says Jesus. Perhaps that is my suggestion. If you do something that you love, you won't need to force yourself to do it. And then this is beautiful. Love and discipline, are they that different? I would say to you, there's no difference. And if you can figure that out, you have figured out the Christian life. There's no difference between love and obedience. Every once in a while I preach at the seminary and I always sort of work in that love and obedience are synonyms. And then I can always look out and some percentage of the faculty's teeth are grinding together. They need those little plastic mouth guards that keep your gums from receding. But I try to help them through as I'm going to try to help you through. So grab a Bible and uh, go to Exodus 20. I'll tell you a story. Right? Now, Vicar, hold on here, because this is going to be different for you, okay? Uh, 
so for you Lutherans, but then you who are not Lutherans. So here's just a little, uh, this is one of the secret handshakes of Lutheranism, okay? The proper distinction between law and gospel. So basically, um, the law weighs you, measures you, condemns you, accuses you, condemns you, evaluates you, accuses you, condemns you. Basically, the law is a holy thing, and it shows you that you're not holy. Um, the gospel is that um, in spite of the evidence, in spite of all that, Jesus comes and says, I love you. Forgives more sins than you've got. Gives it to you as a gift. You can't earn it. Uh, but it is, like we talked last week, it's a resurrection. God, Jesus comes and moves you from death to life. That's the gospel. Jesus puts the touch on you. Now the problem then is, is um, trying to figure out how the law and the gospel work together. What, you get this weird situation where people hate the law. You can't get, how, you, how can you hate that? It's the word of God. I mean, the Ten Commandments is what Jesus sees when he wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror. Jesus is the Ten Commandments in flesh and blood. Right? If God looks in the mirror, he sees the Ten Commandments. So, um, the Ten Commandments are just an expression of God's heart, or they're an expression of holiness. And so because they're an expression of holiness, they're an expression of joy. You know, the Ten Commandments are in the air in heaven. It's wonderful stuff. And so, you know, I want you to hear the Ten Commandments in this way. Uh, here's the backstory, right? We don't have time to read the whole backstory, but you know it because you've seen Charlton Heston. So, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen all these things. So. Um, the Israelites are God's chosen people. Things go bad. They go down to Egypt and they're made slaves. In fact, worse than slaves, they're treated like animals. So the Egyptians say about the Israelites, you don't have any gods and you don't have any land. You don't even have souls. You're subhuman. And so we can do with you whatever we want. And then the Lord comes to them and says, you know, first to Moses and the Israelites, and says to them, hey, I really love you. I've always loved you. It's nice to see you again. And uh, here's an idea. I'm going to gather up all the people, and I'm going to hold the Egyptians back, and we're going to go over to the promised land, and it's going to be fabulous, Right? I will be your God and you'll be my people. And I'll give you my name, you know, in case you need to baptize anybody later. And um, every Sunday or Saturday, depending on how your calendar works, I will meet you at a central location and I will load you up with gifts. This, of course, is the difference between Yahweh and every other God. In every other religion, you have to do good things to make God love you. So you work really hard and God rests. In the church, God works really hard and gives you gifts, baptism, Eucharist, forgiveness, and you rest, right? So I love you, I'll come get you, I'll give you my name once a week. We will get together and restock. And then when you go home, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, be
Be faithful to your wife, raise your kids well, honor your parents, be happy with what you've got, and life is going to be fabulous. In fact, life is going to be holy. Vicar, Lar Gospel, don't answer because I have to write your next review soon. <laughs> but for the rest of you whom, you know, is that the law of the gospel? It's pure gospel. If you grew up in the Lutheran church, you didn't learn that at all, right? But here's the thing. When somebody comes to you and says, I love you, I'll give you life, I'll give you everything, I'll do anything for you, I would die for you, I love you so. That is the pure definition of gospel. It is the holiness of God touched to you. Right, so, I mean, here you go, you got Exodus 20. You'll recognize this. So, the Lord spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hey, you remember we got out of Egypt together? You stole all that stuff and while well, they were choking on flies and the Nile turned red and all the other things that happened? You shall have no other gods before me. And then kind of the ancillary to that, you shouldn't make for yourself a great, he sort of gives you a list of how you could have other gods. You might carve one or a likeness of anything in the heaven or that's in the earth below or in the water underneath. You shall not bow down and serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, right? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Basically saying, if you have another God, this is going to go badly, worse than it went for you in Egypt. So until the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love, right, to thousands who love me. So don't have any other gods, verse 3, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. One, two, three. Six days you can labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, calm down. It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You don't do any work, not you, not your kids, not your servants, not your cattle, not visitors from out of town. Nope, we're all going to take the day off because, you know, I worked for six days and then I took a day off and you want to be like me, so this is going to be fabulous. Twelve, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long. 13, you shall not kill. 14, you shall not commit adultery. 15, you shall not steal, right? You shall not bear false witness. Don't tell lies, right? Don't covet your neighbor's house, so be satisfied with what you've got, both your stuff and people. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, not his wife, manservant, maidservant, anything. Anything he's got, you should just be happy with what I give you, right? And so, you know, now I, you know, why does Karl Lagerfeld turn out to be such a great theologian? Because love and discipline, is there any difference? If you're unhappy, if you're not joyful, if you're lost, if you're wandering, you at least have to ask the question, is it because you're chasing things that God doesn't want you to chase? And when you finally get them, they don't satisfy, right? So the great text that we always read at the Easter Vigil. You know, why do you spend money for things that are not food, right? and drink drinks that are bitter. Why do you do that? I mean, the Lord's kind of curious, like, why do you, why do, you do that? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. But of course, the very first sin and the only sin is our disobedience, or we betray God. We're all little Judases, right? So the Lord says, hey, we have a relationship, and then you got something on the side, right? Or, you know, he says, hey, follow me, and you're like, I think I'm going to go a different direction here with my life. So you can say it very politely, but it's still a sin. So here's a couple of things I want to happen, or I hope that will happen for you. This is, oh, see, this is like 
this will solve, you know, 70% of your problems in Lutheranism right now, which is this simple line. Every word can be said two ways, a law way and a gospel way. It's extraordinarily important. Every word can be said two ways, a law way and a gospel way. I'll give you some examples. Jesus himself will come on the last day, either as your savior or your judge. Savior is the gospel way, judge is the law way. You see him in medieval art. Jesus is descending from heaven. He has a sword in one hand and a lily in the other. Why? For you who are alive, fresh flowers. For you who are about to be dead, sharp sword. Or the Holy Supper, right? Which is the center of my life and yours too, I hope. It is for those who embrace it, the same body and blood that was on the cross and at its touch I'm forgiven and made one with all of you and with God himself. But, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, we'll do these. If you don't know what it is and you take it, this is why some of you are sick and some of you are weak and some of you have died. It can kill you. See, the single thing, the Lord's Supper can be said a law way. It is your judgment. It can actually kill you and it can be said a gospel way. This is the best thing that could happen. The medicine of immortality, the antidote to death. And so this is why we're careful when people come here to commune because we don't want to kill anybody. It's really messy. We don't have that much liability insurance. The police tend to come. Things can just go wrong. So if you can just get this in your head, when God says to you, I will be your God, and then you say, thank you very much. This is the best news I ever had. Amen, I'll have some more, let's go. Not unlike Jesus saying, follow me. That first word is pure gospel to you, a gift from above, out of the blue. And if you say, I'm very good at being my own God, or I'll take your suggestions under advisement, right? Or seven out of 10 is a big league, big league average, right? Then you're kind of, you know, you're closer and closer to being on your own. Um, and of course our whole life is the once a week rehearsal to say, ah, I broke those commandments to bit again this week and I'm super sorry and I wish you'd forgive me. To which the Lord, who's very patient and whose disposition is love, not wrath, says, welcome home, you're my beloved. Let's, uh, everything's forgiven and let's try to do better next time around. Right? Does this kind of make sense to you? See, so the problem is, is that, the problem is, is that, especially Lutherans, you know, you grew up with this sense that the Ten Commandments are your enemy and somehow, or, you know, you're meant to be thrashed. It's a, it's a horrible understanding of God's revelation of his own heart to you. And when, you when you see the Ten Commandments, you're just seeing who God is. And so when God introduces himself as the person who loves you more than you love yourself, and then you live in fear of that, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Right? How you doing? You doing okay? Making sense? It's not, probably not a bad time to grab a catechism. Now, if you can grab one. Vic, did we get new ones this week? If you need a catechism, take one home. I tell you what, well, go for, go for this model right here, instead of, unless you want to play in the back of the Bible. But if you go on this model, we can all do the same thing at the same time. 
So in this one, um, page 13, right? Now you remember, I'm going in the order that we do things in the liturgy. So the first thing, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we start with baptism. And then, when we move through baptism, we say, uh, I didn't do a very good job with my baptism this week. How would you know? Well, you'd know if you compare your life to the commandments. So here we go. First commandment. Don't have other gods. Verse thir or page 13. You shall have no other gods. What does that mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And so fear isn't, um, even that is a difficult word, of course. It, of course, means you should be afraid when you, when you cross the Lord. I mean, uh, you know, you can't poke God in the eye and just act like nothing happened. On the other hand, uh, there is also this sense of awe. And so, you know, what it will be like when you move into heaven, I, it should be quite fascinating as you bump into people you know and saints you admired and old friends, but then also the raw presence of God. You know, how that <coughs> holiness and beauty and light and will all come together. Ah, you know, that's all bundled up in that word fear. It's this, this remarkably awesome experience in the pure sense of the word. So fear, love, and trust God. And to trust would then be to uh, agree with him. I gave you that kind of early faith or trust is to agree. So God says, I'm your God. And you say, you're my God. Now we're going to need that later when it comes to confession because you're going to say, God's going to say, you're a damn sinner. And then you're going to say, that's right, I'm a damn sinner. And then he's going to say, you know, I really love damn sinners. I actually died for them once. And then you're going to say, thank you very much. That would be to agree with God. All right? So tomorrow, the big thing you do when you come tomorrow, among the big things you do is to leave your sins here. We have the vicar, he cleans up for him. He's like the guy at the end of the parade with that shovel and the bucket. This is, this is what pastors do. I mean, get used to it, right? Uh, it's all muck boots and brooms. So, uh, you know, you leave, your, you leave your sins here tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. So, uh, what does this mean? I don't have any other gods. Okay. And then, um, don't misuse the name of God. What does that mean? We should fear and love God. So this double thing of like we hold God in reverence and yet we love him because he loves us first. Um, don't curse, swear, use satanic arts or deceive by his name. So you don't say, you know, I swear to God and then tell a lie. In fact, I swear to God should be reserved for uh, only places where you're completely sure. See, and this is how old I am. You know, I stopped going to Barnes & Noble in Wheaton when this is true 20 years ago. The witchcraft section got bigger than the Bible section. This is actually a true thing that happened because I used to take my kids there. And I thought, okay, enough of that. But now this week, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm way behind. I'm old. I get this. You know, there's a whole TikTok section of casting spells on other people. It's kind of witch 101. Do you know this? You should pay attention if you have kids. Actually, this week... I follow very few people, but one is I began to follow an exorcist who actually has a TikTok where he undoes what's being done. Uh, 
But I mean, here's the thing. To <laughs> the way that witchcraft works is you control the demons until they control you. And what happens is, is the slightest misstep then suddenly puts you in the control of the demons, and it is a woeful thing. If you've seen it, if you've been next to it, I mean, if you can imagine, you know, uh, if you've been places where there's been great tragedy um, or suicides or pick something, uh, it is unsettling to the core. And that people would welcome this in sort of a cavalier way. You know, we, we cast spells on politicians we don't like, or we, we were vacationing in New Orleans once, we walked by this place that said, um, come back at four and cast a spell at our altar. That was on the chalkboard. We were hoping for two for one Bloody Marys, but no, we got that. So um, you kind of go, come back at four. And I actually took a picture of it for this class and then I erased it because I actually did one on my phone because here's the thing, I'm a believer in evil. You know why? Because I've met it. And um, I have no interest in meeting it again, except professionally. So, you know, the thing is, is among the greatest things here is probably this embrace of Satan. You know, I told you last week about the Satan. I told you that, right? The story about, or the other, I talked about the unbaptism for Halloween, right? We talked about that, right? Hail Satan was the craziest thing at the end. That was the most unnerving thing that the person who did it would say, Hail Satan, and the person would say, Hail Satan, like they were saying nothing. Hail Satan is to break the first and the second commandment. You just kind of go, you have no idea what you're doing. I would love to introduce people who do those things to people who have been under the spell of Satan. You would never do it again. You would never do it again. If you met anybody who was even under the most tenuous grip of the demonic, you, you would... You know, so here's the thing, as Plato said, um, you don't need to suffer any, every illness in order to be a good doctor. You know, you don't need to get close to this in order to be a good believer. Just keep your distance, right? Just, and, wa and watch your kids, because it's unbelievable. Anyway, uh, don't have any other gods. Use my name, so what do you do? Um, you call upon it in trouble, pray, praise, give thanks. Use the name for what it's meant for. To confess God as yours, as the one who loves you and saves you, to beg for the things you really need, and if you aren't begging for things, don't worry, you will, because evil is going to find you, or find your kids, or find your marriage, or find something. Evil is going to find you, and you're going to you're going to welcome that you have a name to beg on. Later in prayer, we'll talk about how particular names are used for particular troubles, but you can already hear it in the prayers on Sunday. So tomorrow, the vicar every week is tasked with picking the names of Jesus that fit the particular thing. So if we um, pray for the sick tomorrow, we'll pray, for example, oh great physician. Do you remember what name you use tomorrow? No. Okay. So that's all right, because we try to give you different ones so that you'll learn them. Uh, you'll also know secret code uh, if you've ever noticed, we pray for them in groups of eight, because as you learned last week, eight is the number of resurrection and healing, right, of new life. So tomorrow, just pay attention, they're grouped, not in the bulletin, but in the prayers, the vicar will pray for them, da, 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 and da, eight, pause, and then the next eight, with the confidence that God will recognize his own numbers and his own name. 
So, you know, all this stuff kind of jammed in the commandments. This is why these things are your friend and not your enemy. This is the result of God loving you and not being wrathful towards you. God is love, God is love, God is love. If you could just believe that God is love, that he sees you through not just today, but your entire trajectory all the way back to heaven. Um, Catherine of Siena. All the way home to heaven is heaven. Right? That kind of confidence. All right, and then um, come to church. Why? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Isn't that interesting? So what would it be to be holy on the Sabbath day? We should fear and love God that we don't despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Now, there's always a thing about, you know, having to learn memory work or... Um, try having to think theologically or trying to sort things out, especially when people disagree, like, yeah, I'm not going to have my kids baptized, or why should I go to church, or da-da-da-da-da. However, you know what? Wisdom isn't cheap, and we pay for it with pain. And, you know, you don't wish... I, I have a low threshold for other people's pain, which makes me an inferior human being, father and husband in some ways. Um... I, don't, I hate to see people suffer, but suffering sometimes is the greatest teacher, right? Wisdom isn't cheap. We pay for it with pain. Um, again, if you'd like to avoid the pain, you should come to church, learn a bit of scripture, and follow Jesus as he goes. So this wonderful way of loving you, he makes you, he chats with you, he restores you. And then, because you're the sort of people that need specifics, as do I, turn the page. So the first three are basically about how you work with God. And then the next seven are about how things should be. And I just sort of pose it to you this way. You know, imagine what the world would be like if people just observed, you know, the next 50 words from the Lord. I mean, this is not very long. This isn't very hard. On your father and mother. And of course, by extension, your children and your parents, and by extension, your neighbor and other people in society, right? And people who are different from you and people you've never met before, who couldn't possibly just be thought of as expendable and different, but actually as God's children too, because he loves them as well. What does this mean? Um, we should fear and love God so we don't despise or anger our parents or other authorities, right? but honor and serve and obey them, love them and cherish them. Imagine if um, everybody honored the people that were meant to be honored and the people who were meant to be honored actually lived within their proper authority and with the good of other people in mind. You can hardly conceive of this now, right? This is for churches and cities and families and governments and world governments. Right, imagine if, imagine if these were the virtues that were embraced. Or, um, and then you sort of just compare them against the virtues, purported virtues, demonic inverted virtues. Of course, this is how the demonic works, right? The demonic always works by inversion, right? So, so um, things are always turned upside down. It's no accident that the demonic sign is an upside down cross. Upside down honesty is to, to lie, but to get away with it, right? 
upside down love is to engage self-interest. But imagine if the world worked by honest love and honor and service and obedience. Imagine, right? You shall not murder. We should fear and love God so we don't hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. So you begin to read about now the overburdened healthcare systems who encourage people now to euthanize themselves because that'll keep the costs down. Uh, this isn't sort of like hyperbola stuff. Pick up the paper and, and read, you know. You can, uh, from Switzerland to Canada to Belgium to, 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 just begin to read about euthanasia tourism and the encouragement of who? The poor, the weak, the sick, the depressed, precisely the people that Jesus came for, the disadvantaged, the underclasses, the marginalized, the homeless, who were encouraged to die soon so the rest of us can carry on? Exactly the people that Jesus came to serve, in whom he sees himself. When you did it to them, you did it to me, Matthew 25. So you can see again how things get inverted by evil. Don't murder, don't commit adultery in any form, right? And so rampant pornography and, um, you know, this is one of my arguments for giving kids the Eucharist at the earliest possible age. Because when this, back when this was Hubble School, X number of years ago, there was a drug dealer who was just out on the corner, just outside. This is a middle school. There's a drug dealer on the corner, just beyond the double your jail penalty. And everybody knew who he was and everybody knew what he was doing. So, but we, no, we weren't going to commune our kids until they get to the eighth grade, because you know, you can know your drug dealer in fifth grade, but Jesus, you should probably wait to the eighth grade. He's got heavy stuff waiting for you, right? You kind of go, you know, any kid with a cell phone has been on a porn site. And if it hasn't happened in your house, it happened to the next door neighbor. I can't tell you the number of good moms who have brought their kids in because they went to the next door neighbor's house and they were unsupervised. And they're like, can you undo this? Guess what? It's very hard to undo it. Right? So, you know, here's the thing. Um, it comes in many, many forms, right? Fear and love God. And it comes, you know, even in all the um, incel stuff and violence against women and things on the margins, all of that stuff is under this. The way the Lord puts us together in his image, he puts us together as Christ loves the church and the church loves Christ, Ephesians 5. And anything outside that um, is on the way to evil, right? So what does this mean? You fear and love God so that we lead sexually pure and decent life in what we say and what we do and husband and wife love and honor each other. Seventh commandment, don't steal, right? We should fear and love God that we don't take our neighbor's stuff. Not his money, not his possessions, or get them in a dishonest way, right? But help him improve and protect his possessions and income. So you give other people the boost, right? One of the reasons capitalism works is it depends on original sin. One of the reasons it doesn't work is that it depends on original sin. Uh, eighth commandment, don't lie. All right? 
Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. What does that mean? We should fear and love God so we don't tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, hurt his reputation, defend him. I mean, seriously? Right? Hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. You know, if you doom scroll, you can, you can, barely, you know, you can barely stand it, especially after an election. You know, 11 tweets in, you're kind of going, you know, you've stumbled on something that's not so good for you. And then 9 and 10, um, about being satisfied with what you got. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't cover, covet your neighbor's people. Don't covet your neighbor's anything, right? Be happy with what you've got. So if, um, you know, if uh, your best friend, you know, wins the billion-dollar lottery and goes to homecoming with the boy you love all in the same week, you'd say, congratulations, and mean it. That's the ninth and 10th commandment, okay? So, you know, to be happy for other people, a lost art. To be happy when other people are successful, when other people do well, when their business works, when they make money, when they, you know, when their kid, you know, is valedictorian. To be happy for other people, right? This is a remarkable gift. Or it can be the opposite. You can blow everybody up and be sad and cry foul and, you know, slander people and undo them as best you can. Don't covet your neighbor's house. We should fear and love God so we don't scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way that only appears right. This is prescient from Luther, right? Or maybe the story's always been the same. So you don't make it seem like it's a-okay, but underneath it's kind of, you know, lying and kicking and cheating and stealing. But help him be a service, him to keep it. And then 10th, don't covet your neighbor's wife or husband's manservant, maidservant, donkey. You have to put this in, you know, 16th century terms. But... It gets to right at the end. Don't, don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we don't entice or force away our neighbor's wife, husband, workers, animals, turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty. Now, it seemed like it was just a few words, but everything else then depends on it. My bottom line for you is, if you can make these words your friend, you will have a life filled with meaning and joy. And if you run against them, you will suffer incremental and consequential um, pain and despair. And isn't it so interesting, you know, regularly after this, the Lord comes to him and says, you know, you know these famous verses, I set before you this day life and death, choose life. Or the Didache, one of the earliest pastoral care books, you know, 80 AD maybe, basically begins by saying, there is a way of life and there is a way of death. And everybody knows it, right? You know, so, um, you know, choose life, right? If I can get you to think that God loves you, believe that God loves you, act as if God loves you, and if I can get you to think that by telling you about himself in the Ten Commandments, he doesn't mean to ruin your fun, he means to bring you great joy, right? He makes to bring you great joy. That's what he wants for you. And if I could just get you to just try it, right? And repent of it when it goes badly um, and embrace it when it goes well. And if you could get that all on the same page and if you could actually do that all together, you'd be a remarkable group of people. And you would see your life flourish and your life together flourish. It would be this amazing thing where you know you couldn't get here fast enough to be with each other, yes. right? So it takes this kind of commitment um, but this is what Jesus 
calls you to be. That's what he talks about. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. What does that mean? It means, you know, your people are committed to God and not to yourselves. That you're committed to holiness and not to evil, right? That your embrace will be of things that are wonderful and not wicked. That's what it means, right? So anyway, that's what you're getting yourselves into. But on the way toward goodness, you should take all those leftover bagels with you and uh, zip up those donuts. Um, let's see, I think, so we'll go next week and then we'll take the next Saturday off. That's Thanksgiving weekend, so I know you'll be busy doing something else. But um, So we'll go next week and we'll talk about this, we'll talk about that. If you have um, questions, leave them with me. I'll try to take them with you, but you should go home now and have some fun. Let's pray, though, first. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, friends. See you.